0: What are the secrets of those extraordinary individuals that have achieved extraordinary success? Listen to their stories, discover their knowledge bursts, make those connections. Get ready. It's time to start moving forward. John Lim here, and I'm so excited because we're moving forward today with Aileen Wilson Harris. Aileen is the daughter of legendary singer Al Wilson. She's also an incredibly talented artist, singer, television actress and radio show host hey aline how are you today
1: i am doing so well how are you
0: i'm doing fantastic i am so thrilled to have you on moving forward and i'm really excited to share your story you've done so many interesting things with your career and i'm i really am excited to share that with our listeners so i only touched a little bit on the intro because i want you to tell your story so share with our listeners tell us a little bit about yourself and your career journey
1: Oh well, I'm excited to be here, hanging out with you and yes. um your listeners today. And uh let's see where to start. Um I'm a mother of five. Uh, oh wow. <laughs> yes, how old, how old are five, your kids? five kids. My kids are 26, 25, and then there's a big 10-year gap and I have a 17-year-old a 15 year old and a 14 year old. Wow. So I've got three boys, two girls and a whole lot of fun. Oh my um, gosh.
0: You must be so, so proud though. I,
1: I I really am blessed. Um we homeschool the youngest three, my mm-hmm. husband and I. And they're just they're awesome kids. So That's great. I I really can't say anything, but I am blessed.
0: Oh, that's so great. Well, let's start. I mean, I, a lot of our listeners may know you uh, from your acting career. And so let's start there. I mean, how did you get into acting? And, and share with our listeners some of your most memorable roles.
1: Okay. So, um, well, how I got into acting is a little bit of a long story, but I'll try and make it short. Uh <laughs> As you mentioned in your introduction, I am the daughter of Al Wilson. Um, he had a huge career from 1969 uh, through the 70s, and he's most famous for show-and-tell. Um, and I kind of was a studio baby. I would climb up on things like drum sets and stuff. I kind of was that. We made the rounds of, like, B West and all these phenomenal recording studios and stuff. So um, they would be doing live sessions as everything was done back then. And um, it was just a really interesting thing to have this little baby running around doing stuff like pulling down (laughs) microphone cords and all that kind of stuff. So basically, my parents were like, you know, um, we should probably do something with her because she's full of energy and she's kind of outgoing. And, you know, maybe we should give her something to direct her energies, to. So they started putting me in print work. Um, My mom uh, found somebody to kind of guide her through that a little bit and I got a couple of things, which were like JCPenney catalog. Mm. So I have baby pictures with me holding a little teddy bear in like onesie pajamas and things like that. Um, and then also around that same time, my dad had done Soul Train. Uh, And if you look up Willoughby Brook on Soul Train, you'll see Don Cornelius Mm -hmm. holding little bitty me, not even able to talk yet, but um, being introduced kind of to the world uh, via my dad and Don Cornelius on Soul Train. So from there, like I said, I did some print work and just kind of in a very uh, organic way, which seems weird for something like that. My mom... And my dad came up with the idea for me to start emceeing my dad on the road. And so by the time I was about three and a half years old.
0: Oh, my gosh. Three and a half years.
1: Yeah. Like I was able to talk and and communicate things at that point. So my mom started teaching me like my mom. I have to give her so much credit. Mm. She's awesome. She actually had this little girl um, learning a little monologue. And so I learned this little monologue. I dedicated it to memory and I started going on the road with my dad and my mom and I would go out and I would introduce my dad in the beginning of the shows. And so I did that for uh, quite a while. So, uh, talk a little
0: bit about your transition into television.
1: Okay. So that was really interesting. Um, my older sister, who's actually seven years older than I am, Mm -hmm. Um, was going to a public elementary school. Uh, It was called West Hollywood Elementary School. It's actually still existent. Mm -hmm. Well, this elementary school was this really, really cool mix of people that they were the ones who were like, you know, I call them hippy-dippy, but I'm going to (laughs) explain that. It's not like a derogatory thing. It is like all in love. It's like these people took the best things out of that era of what people would call the hippie era era and. They really embraced teaching their kids to learn, to, you know, really appreciate other cultures. Mm. Well, all of that to say, this particular school happened to be where Chip Fields moved down the street from. If you know Mm -hmm. who Chip Fields is, she played Penny's mom, um, Janet Jackson's mom on Good Times, Um, and she is an awesome lady. She Came off of Broadway, moved to West Hollywood, and enrolled Kim, her daughter, from uh, Facts of Life and mm-hmm. Living Single. Chip decided to open up a repertoire company utilizing the after school program time. Oh, wow. So she had all these, like, stretch of kids. Um, so she took all of her gifts and just blessed this group of kids with everything that she had to give and we gleaned that and we got this amazing broadway level training from this woman in grade school for free oh my god wow. that, it's right? incredible <laughs> so- Uh, Exactly. And so I actually wasn't even old enough to go to school yet. So my mom and Chip started talking about me and some of the things that were going on and things I was doing. And Chip said, you know what, Um, I'm going to take her under my wing. And so she did. So I'm like, the littlest one in the group. I'm not even in school yet. And I start doing musical theater with them in the repertoire company. And Chip just took it to this whole other level. And at that point, I was like, really being intensely trained. And it was just, again, it was so organic. Mm. It was just so natural. She didn't make it like, oh, we are serious. It was like, we're going to do this and you're able to do this and we just do this. This is what we do. And so with that said, she became like a second mom to me. And with that, Chip had an uh, audition. She got a call back for a movie of the week Um one of the days that she happened to be babysitting me and she couldn't leave me and my mom wasn't going to be off work. So she just took me with her. So we got in the car, we drove there. And so chip goes in, she nails it. She gets the job. Well, while she's in there, she says, have you guys cast the role for the little girl for oh the daughter? Goodness.
0: in this role?" Oh my goodness.
1: And they said, no, we haven't. And she said, I have a little girl out in the lobby that I, I think she can do this. She goes to the lobby. She comes out and she says, "Okay, um, do you want to do this audition? Because there's a role for the daughter. And um, then she kind of explains what's going to happen. And she warns me because she's like, now I'm going to have to, like, scare you a little bit and shake you. So I just wanted you to know. And she's like, are you okay with this? And I'm like, sure. So we go through it and stuff and we go in and Chip, of course, is a phenomenal actress. So she nails it. And because of that, and because of the intensity of the scene too, and I, 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 I'm gonna say I thank God that I was already kind of ready to do a cold call right. anyway, but it. Oh my gosh, she had me like bawling. It was they were like, "You're hired!" Oh
0: my gosh, so, oh my yeah. gosh!
1: <laughs> and then it was also already a chemistry between yeah. Chip and I, so it was yeah. just natural and it was awesome. Um, so they hired me, and that was my very first speaking role because I had done some little commercial work by this mm-hmm. point. I had a Winchell's commercial that was like a national commercial, and all sorts of little cool stuff like that. But this was my very first actual speaking role, and it was a movie of the week with Lavar Burton as my father. Oh Chip Fields gosh. as my mother and a slew of other amazing actors, like several people from the cast of Roots, uh, Ketty Lester, who I actually later on played young Hester Sue in Little House of the Prairie. Yes, yes, I she remember, was Hester yeah. Sue. Oh, so gosh. like later on, I got to work with her again. And it's like the who's
0: uh, who. I mean, that's so man. cool.
1: And then too, oh, another lean, we- for
0: our listeners, I mean, what was the name of the film?
1: The film was called Battered. Mm. And you can actually still look it up. Um, Like I said, it's with Chip Fields and a whole bunch of other people. This movie actually was a groundbreaking statement and a social catalyst at Mm. that time because nobody was really talking about this situation and the topic of domestic abuse. And this movie was a movie of the week. It was aired on primetime television and network TV, and it went there. It dealt with women from every walk and social economic status having this issue of domestic abuse. Yeah. And it was so impactful. You can look up things where they did write ups about it and how much it meant at that time for that movement and how much it did to empower people to start this conversation and have this conversation and begin to change things. So I'm so blessed to say that I was a part of that. And yeah, it, it's just oh, like one of those things that truly it, it really is fantastic. Yeah.
0: Oh, that's great. And so what happened after that? So you you got your first major speaking role and then – Right. So what was the next step after
1: that? So somewhere in there, um, Chip had taken me also and connected me and my mom with Dorothy Day Otis. Mm -hmm. And for those of you who don't know who she is, this woman was this amazing force to be reckoned with in the entertainment business back then. She was the biggest child agent in the entire Hollywood scene and wow. anywhere else, really, um, if you could land Dorothy Day Otis, it was like, OK, you've you, really you had done it made. So Right. Yeah. Um, and so I went and I auditioned for Dorothy Day Otis and she accepted me. And it was like, whoa. whoa. So. At that point, I was auditioning regularly and I started to do a lot of work and get a lot of different commercials. I did tons of commercials. I can't even remember some of the commercials. (laughs) Sadly, that's like terrible. But I did a lot of commercials. I did Arrowhead. I did Nice and Soft, which I got reamed for in school because, you know, like being a little kid in school, you're doing the toilet paper commercial. So, you know, (laughs) how little kids can be the toilet paper girls. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, did that. Um, I did a Kentucky Fried Chicken print, um, job and commercial. And actually another funny story with that chip went to New York on some business and she called us from New York and said, Oh my God, I am walking through Times Square. I was walking through Times Square and I looked up and you are plastered on the wall of Times (laughs) Square. The Kentucky fried chicken ad is on the wall of Times Square. I was like, Wow. So started doing a lot of work and then um, eventually did uh, some things that got me a relationship, a working relationship with Mr. Norman Lear. Mm, yes. and he ended up signing myself and chip and a few other people to a production deal. And this developmental production deal was for a project called the good life. It was directed by Oz Scott, who is another phenomenal, amazing name in the business. Um, and he, they, I'll say, um, were shopping this amazing project, which would have been the very first of its kind type of scenario where you had a storyline with a black doctor um, and a, a wealthy middle class, upper middle class family. Um, and it was basically a black soap opera. And it was a lighthearted black soap opera, but it would have been monumental. Wow unfortunately we were months and months into shopping this. We had been rehearsing it and everything. And we began to shop it to the networks. And as we began to shop it to the networks, we did a couple of performances and then this strike of 1970, whatever oh, the sag strike hit. So yeah, everything yeah. shut down for a good long while and just kind of messed up a whole lot of people's parade. Yeah. Um, and so the project kind of got put on a back burner and From there, though, when everything kind of the dust settled and all that Norman Lear called me back for a lot of different projects. I did, um, the Jefferson's different strokes a couple of times. Mm -hmm. Um, I had also up at that point, I had done the Lou Grant show. I had done a show called Lazarus syndrome where Lou Gossett jr was actually a black doctor, but this was kind of like a drama series. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was his daughter in that. And, um, just a lot of really cool experiences and projects projects. And then later on, um, I got the Little House on the Prairie job. And that's another awesome, amazing story <laughs> that I couldn't like. I'm so grateful to have these kind of memories. And it's so yeah. surreal the way these things happen. Um, so I went for this audition and then I got a callback and I remember going to this callback and it was on the sound stage, and Michael Landon's trailer was there. But I didn't know this was like, you know, Michael Landon's trailer per se. So they call me in for the audition. And who is auditioning me? Michael Landon. Oh,
0: wow. wow.
1: In his trailer. I'm like, our my little brain is like, wow. what? So I probably was at that point a little bit unnerved, but I got through it and it went well. And at the end of the audition, he says, so would you like to do this role of young Hester Sue? And I'm like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And that's how I got the job. But man, who does that? And I I think that this was something also that besides him being the director and and an an integral part of his whole project with Little House on the Prairie, I think that this was something special that I think he maybe on purpose did as well, just to kind of... Get that personal connection with people and give people that, oh, my God, experience. Sure. <laughs> because it certainly was. And he didn't necessarily have to be the one doing that. He could have had tons of acting, um, you know, casting people. They could have filmed it and all the rest of that. But he took the time to actually do that. And I'm just going to go out on a limb and say he probably did that all the time. And that's just I, it's so amazing to me.
0: Yeah. Wow, yeah. that is an incredible thank you so much for sharing that. I mean, I've I'm just, I'm, I really love these stories. And it's, I mean, it just shows uh, just all the different relationships and all the different experiences that you've had. So Al- Al- i how long were you an actress? I mean, what, what was the what was the let's set the time frame. I mean, because you've done so many other things. So how long did you continue with the acting?
1: Um, I continued with the acting into my early teens, mm-hmm. and uh, in that, I like one of the last things that I did was the second. Uh, well, actually, both of the different strokes came around twelve, somewhere between 12, 13 years, and then um, I did some other things like a uh, sneak peek and fun fitness with Tony Danza and Mary Lou Retton <laughs> wow. and C three PO. Yeah, that <laughs> C-3-P-O. was cool, People right? Goodness I now. actually have a picture of me in a West Hollywood Elementary School sweatshirt and C-3PO My on goodness. the set with Tony Danza standing in the back. It's Alain, crazy, I right?
0: never imagined that I'd be interviewing someone who would say Michael Landon, Tony Danza, and C-3PO.
1: <laughs> in, the <laughs> in the same, same interview, sentence, right? Yeah, in the same. <laughs> I,
0: I mean, that's outstanding. It
1: is. is. Um, And then I did an episode of Young and the Restless. And I think that was probably one of the last things that I did. After that, I got to that point where because I had seen some things, um, and I'll kind of explain what that means, like Mm -hmm. being on the – In the contract situation with Tandem Productions, Norman Lear's production company, and being around the sets and being around the studios for an extended length of time and having the tutors and all of that stuff like um, another fun story during that period of time, I was really good friends with Gary Coleman because there weren't many kids Mm – Around. So, Gary Coleman and I, on our lunch breaks, we had the same tutors and stuff. Um, And then on our lunch breaks, we would go, and he was just young enough to still kind of enjoy playing with toys. He was probably about 12. Mm -hmm. And so, he would humor this little kid, and we would play with his little big track, and we would play in the hallway on the carpet, like crawling around in front of Norman (laughs) Lear's office and stuff. So, There was that, and then Dana Plato was like a big sister to me, and she was just super sweet and super loving and fun. And I would see these people all the time, and I got to know them. And then when everybody kind of disbanded because of the strike, um, there was a nice big gap of time before I came back to KTTV. Well, when that came to be and I came back – And I got back to the set of different strokes, and I did different strokes. Everybody had changed so much. Mm. And you could see that several people had gone into a transition in life where they were not happy. Wow. Um, And Dana was still very sweet and very loving. But there was something very different already. And Gary was not very happy at all. You could kind of tell that he was a little um, just generally annoyed with a lot of predicaments, which now we can kind of put together and go, okay, I kind of get what was going on at that time with the different situations with his parents and the finances and all of that stuff. Um, But you could see this marked difference in everybody's spirit. And I saw that. And then I saw other transitions and things for other kids because you see the same kids when you go and you audition, especially then because you saw the same people and you saw the changes in life. And when I got to be about 14, I looked at all of that and I started experiencing things that like just didn't make me feel like I was having as much fun because Mm. I was I was a tiny little petite thing, too. So I'm 14 years old and I'm getting sent out on roles for 10 year olds. And I'm like, this is not fun. Mm. I'm not enjoying getting sent out on a roll for a 10 year old sometimes like it's making me feel some kind of way. So I said, you know what, I talked to my mom and I said, I don't think I really want to keep doing this right now. Yeah, I think I want to take a break. And I just want to be a normal kid and do Mm. normal stuff and just live life and experience other things and do other things. And so um, we did. And I, you know, was did the cheerleading thing and I got like little normal people jobs. I worked at a, a I mean, not that everybody's not a normal person, but you know what I mean? Like sure. you wouldn't expect it's to a unique, see somebody. It's a,
0: it's a unique experience, you know, right. especially, especially to have done, I mean, really a, a full life amount of experience <laughs> up until through age 14. I mean, starting right. at when you were like three, I mean, that's right. really, it I mean, is. that is so unique
1: it's It's interesting, so um I got a job at like a yogurt store. I worked at a bank. All of this was before I was even seventeen years wow. old, wow. so I did that kind of stuff. I started doing some modeling and then um out of high school, um I graduated and then I had my first child and so I moved and transitioned into that piece. Well, it's kind of funny how life has a way of doing things um because I actually got into that relationship thinking, oh, well, you know, I'm going to be in this thing. And I'm like, you know, we're, he's like, I want to marry you, blah, blah, blah. And I, we get married and all mm-hmm. that. And it's just a hot mess, disaster. Because oh, no. when I got into it, this person, it was totally like you see these episodes on TV where people on these talk shows like they get literally conned by somebody well this scenario was like that this guy's whole family had like a really sordid background and mm-hmm. it was just like okay so after i move in with you and we're all on this mission You dump all the well, half of the truth on me and then it just gets worse from there. So I tried and I tried and I'm younger than him. So I'm like at this point, like babysitting a grown man and it's just a mess. And um, I leave him for a while and then he tries to get his act together allegedly. And so I said, okay, let's give it another try. At this point, we've got two kids because I I was young and I was goofy. And I thought, okay, well, you know, I I did that so many times throughout that relationship. Like, well, this, this surely now that this has happened, he surely will do what he's saying he's going to do. And it didn't. So (laughs) um, with all that said, yeah, it was just all bad. Um, except for the blessing of my two boys. Um, but with that, well I went back to school and started college and I went for journalism initially. Um and so I let him back into our lives And he actually had a stroke at the age, of like he didn't get it together, which came first. And he actually gave himself a stroke at a very young age. And it was like, oh, my God. So again, unfortunately or fortunately, however you want to look at it, I thought to myself, well, surely this will wake him up. And surely this will snap him into a Slim gym, and he'll, you know, get it right now. Um, But it didn't. And so throughout that transition of time where I was trying to see if he was going to keep it together. And I'm like, I literally quit school to nurse him back to health and all of that stuff. And during that period of time, we move into a little house in Culver City. We move into this house and we're furnishing this house (laughs) and uh, we go to go buy a TV at Circuit City in Marina del Rey. Mm -hmm. I'll never forget this. (laughs) And I'm walking out of circuit city. And at this time I'm, I'm going to just flat out say it. I'm depressed Mm. unbelievably. And I'm just trying to muddle through life and be a mom to these two little babies and just hope that this man acts like he has half some sense and things like that. And Lord, forgive me because he's actually just passed on um, in the past year, but Mm. Yeah. So I'm kind of muddling through this depressed state of living. I'm just like, I quit school and he's still not doing what he's supposed to do. And we got these babies and uh, so Hmm. an uncharacteristic moment happens for me. And we're walking out of Circuit City. They're loading the TV onto this truck. And I see these three girls just laughing it up. They're having a ball. They're yelling at the top of their lungs. I will survive by Gloria Gaynor. Mm -hmm. And they're like singing the lyrics and they're walking across the street and In this instant, they forgot the lyrics. And for whatever reason, it just seized me. And I was like, I started yelling out the lyrics that they dropped. (laughs) And so I'm singing it with them and we all just start laughing and they look at me and they go, hey, do you want to be in a group? And I'm like, uh, sure. What are you talking about? (laughs) And it was the weirdest thing, how that happened, because that wasn't something that I would normally do. Right. right. And again, it was just that right thing at the right moment in the midst of just an utter nightmare for me. And God just used that moment and dropped that whole situation into play. And from there, we end up signed to a deal with Mercury Records oh, and managed wow. by Julio. And this was like the height of Coolio's career, too. So it was just like, seriously? Oh, my God. God, you're so great. You're amazing. Like, how did you just do that? That I wasn't even looking for anything. I'm just like hiding under my little rock. And God just kind of pulled me out and was like, here you go. So, (laughs) yeah, here's your lifeline.
0: My goodness. And and talk a little bit about what you're doing now, Aline. I mean, you're a radio uh, show host. And so share a little bit of of how that came about.
1: Well, actually, um, I was doing broadcast uh, mainstream radio recently, and I recently left that situation, Um, but um, I'm now back in school. And one of the reasons I went back to college, I'm at Youngstown State University, and I'm going for my telecommunication degree is because – I wanted to piece together all the little gaps because that was the way I could fill in all these gaps at the same time. So yeah. I'm learning. Di- I've learned directing. I've learned camera work. I can kind of get my way around any type of production situation i also am a music recording minor and engineering minor so i've got that background now and audio background and all of those things and i had some but again now it's actually a full-bodied understanding of all of this stuff together and that takes me to the next thing which is my ultimate goal of multimedia production company and stuff like that so yeah um, with the radio thing, I that kind of, again, just fell in my lap. And I was like, you know what? I had just said to my husband less than six months before this, I was like, I don't want to do radio because he was having this conversation, like, you should check out this thing. And check. I was like, he was like, that's your field. And I was like, I that's not my field. I don't want to do that. And that's like not something that I'm really desiring to do. And here it goes. It falls in my lap. And I'm like, okay, well... I'll do this and let's see how this is. So I actually um, had a nice little stint on uh, doing the local host for the Steve Harvey Morning Show, which that was a lot of fun. But I learned a lot about the good things and the bad things of commercial radio and what I love about it and what I absolutely hate about it. Mm. And I just like there were so many things that I was not comfortable with. So basically what I mean by that is, um, for instance, I have an independent radio show that I do through YSU College Radio, and I've been doing that for years now. Mm -hmm. And what I really love about that is I get to pull artists from all over the country and I review their music for Airplay. I kind of look at their bios, and if I feel that they're really interesting, kind of that glass ceiling breaking type of artist as an independent artist. I love being able to feature them. I love being able to hear their stories and things like that. Um, As opposed to a commercial radio thing where there is a set formula to everything and everything is ratings driven. And even the people that you get to interview, you don't really select those people most of the time. And you have to kind of go through a whole lot of stuff if you do want to try to actually select an interview and say, I think this person is a great interview. I mean, they can even be of a celebrity status. And if it's not, um, a, whatever the motivations of the powers that be are, then it may or may not be as easy as it, it seems like it should be. Um, so again, like, there's some things about commercial radio that are great. And then there's some things for me personally that I just did not like at all. I didn't feel comfortable with it. And it was just like, I don't really want to unleash certain things onto the masses personally. You know what I mean? So Yeah. So that's kind of what boils that up into a nice little nutshell for me. Um,
0: absolutely and you know what i love about what you're sharing with our listeners uh, Aline, is that you've it's it's part of your growth as a media entrepreneur and everything that you're doing now and having that freedom and that relationship with your audience is so important
1: absolutely and again it's like having the perspective of really caring about what you're doing as opposed to it being uh, a monetary thing per se that is driving you, Um, you you want to do things for your audience and share things with your audience that you feel are going to help with growth as opposed to just get a a response or fill in time or whatever the case may be in a day you know
0: yeah and also the artist integrity which you've had since you were three from from your dad (laughs) and from all of your experiences and i think that is such a powerful message to share with moving forward listeners so thank you so much
1: absolutely my pleasure and truly my honor to be able to share that absolutely
0: And now you're a co-host on a wonderful podcast with an incredible person that I had on moving forward for the one-year anniversary, Danielle Spencer and her husband, David. So share with our listeners how that came about.
1: I mean, almost instantly, as soon as I got done with that, um, I had just through turns of events, become friends with David L. David on Mm -hmm. Facebook. He had friended me out of the blue. And then I started seeing his posts about his wife and I went, his wife is Danielle Spencer. Oh my God. (laughs) I met met her one time when I was little and oh my God, that's crazy. So, I actually, while I was still on the radio um, station job, I had messaged him and connected with him and said, you know, hey, would she be interested in doing an interview? Because I think like what she's got going on is just awesome. And I thought this thing with danielle getting inducted into the smithsonian and being who she is and who she was and being such an integral part of african-american culture on that iconic show from the 1970s would be an awesome so (laughs) i i brought her you know that into connection and was able to get that interview and um Connected and all that stuff, and we talked, and we really hit it off. From what I could tell, I was like, "Oh my gosh, she's just a wonderful, oh, yeah. lovely young lady." Like uh, you would have never even guessed, because I had never really gotten to know her. I just and so met many her people,
0: so many people know her from her role from what's happening, and have not right. really like it was. <laughs> it was so iconic. And for moving forward, listeners who follow the show for a while, I mean, I had Danielle on uh, for our one-year uh, anniversary episode, and and she has had such an amazing journey of her own and she is she's a survivor she's a survivor
1: she is she is totally a survivor she's just awesome and she's so sweet and i even like joked with her i said you know when i did beat you when i was little i just remember being so intimidated because i thought you were going to be mean (laughs) and just like not be nice to me and i was like so much littler and i was be (laughs) nicer
0: in person i mean she is (laughs) that's
1: what i'm saying
0: opposite of that of that persona that she played so well
1: I mean, it's amazing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So after I left the station, um, within a couple of weeks, David and I were talking, um, I had let him know, you know, I left the station situation. I'm not there anymore. Um, and he said, you know, we got some things going on. So, you know, would you be available to have, you know, some conversations? And I said, sure. And they graciously invited me to be a co-host on this podcast. And I'm just, I'm I'm telling you the experience of this podcast is just so beautiful. And it's so everything put in perspective from what I was like getting the understanding of, of this is what I want to (laughs) do. This is what I love to do. And then it just got dropped in my lap and I'm just like, Thank you, God. You're so great. And
0: and for movie (laughs) phone listeners, this is how you and I connected because, and, and actually, when I had Danielle on the show, I said I went out to dinner with both of them, and I said you two should launch a podcast. I mean, you have so many interesting stories. You have so many interesting relationships. This needs uh, a, an incredible medium for you to be able to get that out there. And and I'm so thrilled because it was just a couple months ago where David reached out to me and said, I want to do this podcast. How, how do we do this podcast thing? And that's how you and I got connected.
1: Man, and you know what? I'm so grateful for that because I have met some really wonderful people and been reconnected with some really yes, wonderful yes. people from my past too, but um, like yourself. And you have been so gracious and I, I just thank you. You oh, and my. I hope that God blesses you ex- exponentially oh, you. for being so generous and loving and of the spirit well, that you are to just be so sharing with even the things that you know and helping us get this podcast thing going and all of that stuff. You've just been stellar and we love oh, well, you so I, much.
0: Well, because you have so, – I mean – and. I encourage moving forward listeners. I mean, the name of the podcast will have the link on the write-up, Living with Danielle and David. It is fantastic. Mm -hmm. I mean, the three of you have such incredible chemistry. You cover such a wide range of topics. You know, the entertainment industry, obviously, since all three of you have been connected to that, but you cover so many topics beyond that. And it's really an incredible show.
1: Um, You know what? I don't want to be remiss in also giving a very integral part of my story here. Yes, please. While I was in that group, um, and I was signed uh, to Mercury and all that stuff. We were doing um, some album work and things like that. And we actually have a song that's on a, a soundtrack for a movie called Girls Town that was Lily Taylor's very first breakout movie. Um, and we were on the soundtrack with a whole lot of uh, amazing people. While we were doing that, I actually um, met my husband um, of 18 years Aww, now. Congratulations. Um, And so he was actually in a group that was signed to Dr. Dre's Aftermath, and I was signed to Mercury, and they were in an all-guys group, I'm in an all-girls group. And so we started recording, and we worked together for almost like a year, and eventually, like, you know, we had that, I like you, I like you too, type (laughs) of situation. Um, And at this point, obviously, like I said, the other situation had been come to a close quite a while before that. Um, But so my husband and I ended up uh, marrying and moving back to the Midwest where he's from in Ohio.
0: So I'd like you to share with our listeners, I mean, how does someone really keep moving forward? How does someone really identify what they're passionate about? Let's say we have a listener right now who's hanging on to every word as I am that you're sharing today, and maybe they're doing something but it's not really their purpose. It's not something that really lights them up every day. What would you say to that one person?
1: I, I think for listeners, I think that the thing is really, really embrace everything that is who you've been designed to be because Hmm. we can get pigeonholed and stuck in who we think we are. And uh, again, I look back on certain people's lives of, of people who were at the height of their heights and then this thing or that thing happened in the business or with their career and they lost themselves and they lost their understanding of continuing to grow and letting God show them everything that they were designed to be because there was so much more than that one little piece. And so I would say, be open to what God has for you in a day, be seeking him. Um, and you know, I know everybody's not religious, but for me, there's just that undeniable truth that whether you're religious or not, um, there's some things that you've been designed for
0: right and and it sounds and, like getting in touch with your spiritual side I mean that has been such a big influence for you throughout your absolutely. entire life and absolutely. I, think, I think that's really i think that's really incredible and for moving forward, listeners, i mean, I think what aline is is sharing is that embrace who you are, and I think that is so important and you know if you have a spiritual side embrace that, be empowered by that. And I think Mm -hmm. that is incredible, incredible advice that you're giving to our listeners. And
1: I think too, that if you really like, if you are able at all to to get to that place where you say, God, show yourself to me, then it will stop you from getting sucked into some things Mm. that you think you are, as opposed to who you truly were designed to be. Because sometimes we get stuck in this rut where an experience in life becomes our identity. And because those things may have had some repercussions and some symptomatic responses within you, you begin to take on this identity that was never supposed to be you.
0: Yeah. Well, Aline, are you ready to do a little time travel? Sure. (laughs) So what we're going to do, and I love asking this question, is we're going to step back maybe, you know, five, ten years or, you know, however many years you'd like to and think about a time in your life where you could really benefit from some of the wisdom that you have earned and learned over the years. So is there one particular tip or one particular piece of advice that you'd like to share with your past self?
1: Um, That's not an easy question because no. there's so many things that right. I would love to share with my <laughs> little self. Um, But I think that at the bottom line of all of it would be that God is real mm-hmm. um, and that whether you're religious or not, God really truly is there. Mm-hmm. And if you open yourself up um, enough with, I mean, I know that there's a lot of things that stupefy the mind and or or seem to be stupid. Um, when you look at trusting something that you, you really can't fully um, explain all the time. But if you're able to open up your heart, and able to open up your mind and say, God, show me who you are. Yeah. He really is faithful to do that and he's faithful to show you like truly everything that he says and is is so real and it's so incredible and it makes all the difference in life i mean you'll still have stuff that's going to come up in life but when god is truly in your life and you have this really personal relationship um it changes everything about the process, yeah, and it changes everything about that, um, response within yourself. And that truly, for me, when I, as a 26 year old woman, um, said, God, you know, I- I'm giving myself back to you, I am, I, I never stopped praying, but I actually began to study things and stuff and really look at this thing called religion when I was about 18 and I had been raised pretty religiously um, in the Catholic church and things. And I kind of took a step back and I said, you know, God, show me who you are. Mm. And it took an evolution of things that he took me through as this journey. And it brought me back to Christ and a personal relationship with Christ. And it was like, oh, wow, wow. This is really, really different Mm. than just going to church and not having a clue like why you're even, I mean, like, you know why you're going, but you're not interacting with what is happening to that level where it's personal and it carries through everything in your life. And it's not about a building and it's not about a specific person, um, but When you have that personal relationship with God, He will actually take you. And if you ask Him, direct me, He will direct you to the right people, to the right building, per se, that truly is where He's calling you to be to be healed, to grow, to learn, to find out who He is and share with other people who are going through that same journey. Yeah. Uh,
0: thank you. That's really beautiful, Aline. And here's my question for you. How do you think your younger self would have responded to that advice? <laughs>
1: um, I think that my younger self um if I were able to take the time with my younger self and try to explain certain things that were really applicable for my younger self that were totally beyond my little understanding at that point and and got me into the the processes of life and and becoming further and further away from who I was designed to be mm-hmm. and that essence of truth that we're all really born in and and being connected to our creator then if I could really go into that in detail to some extent with uh a simple enough explanation for what was going on um and with with having been molested at a young age and things like that mm. it it was something that those things having their symptomatic effects will cause a person to get a lot of things muddled up in the process because this world is telling you all this stuff and it's showing you all this stuff and you're created in this very innocent, very organic true state and you begin to take on stuff that is not you and you begin to try and figure out how to deal with that and if you don't have that solid foundation, if you aren't able to reach out with like no fear and just tell the truth about things as a little person, then it can all become a very rough process for a while. And it takes a lot of work to get back to understanding and putting in perspective who you truly were, who you truly are, and all of the things that happened and circumstances that happened and and things that we take on and where they don't fit in. Sure. So yeah, with having been molested at an early age and with different things that you see in life and Mm. um, experience in life. And then when I was, uh, because I was molested, one of the symptomatic things is sometimes you get into goofy situations and relationships at a young age while you're Hopefully, on your way to getting to a better place, because mm. some people don't make it out. They stay yeah. in this unfortunate events and unfortunate choices. But one of those, uh, you know, parts of my journey um, before I actually began to really get this thing together, um, I dated a young man who ended up even. Uh, raping me at oh my uh, In my teenage years so that's like Yet another thing that could have just Totally threw me into Left field forever But again thank god There was that group counseling Thing in high school that that Kind of stepped in and made a way For me to start to talk about All this mush And figure out what Was what and get it all Untangled um, and again I really am grateful that it was at an early age because some people don't talk about it until they're 40 years old. And then that just sets you further back into the process. But thank God you started it at whatever age you have to start it. Um, And let me add this disclaimer real quick, just so that nobody goes and runs and and begins to do their own inventions with my story. Um, It was not my mother or father who molested me. Um, So, Uh, I will say that I will not say who it was. This person and I actually have I I confronted them later on in life when I was about 18 and um, they have, you know, made their amends and they've repented. And they were actually they told their story because they were not fully grown either. Mm -hmm. Um, And part of their story was that they had been damaged at a very young age. And my healing process of confronting them caused them to have to actually, you know, go through the process of dealing with the realities and also dealing with their own realities of what happened to them that caused them to symptomatically act out other things that were not them. (laughs) Again, um, I just needed to clear up that sure. th- this Absolutely. is not my mother or father, so it right. wasn't that, thank God. Um, but that I have dealt with that and that the person that did that actually has been held accountable to some extent and, you know, has repented really for those things that they did. So um, all of that is really important because there are so many people who don't get that opportunity to yeah. confront those issues and to talk to the person and say okay you know you did this
0: yeah and not only I mean not only have you done that but you're sharing that today and who knows who may be listening to this that will help them so Aline, I really appreciate it thank you so
1: much very welcome thank you
0: well Aline, how can our listeners uh, connect with you and learn more about all the great work that you're doing today
1: um well you can definitely find me on Facebook you can also find me on Twitter if you want to email me you can also email me anytime the t h e american beats at gmail.com, you can hit me up, um, definitely get in touch with me any of those three ways, and I would love to hear from you.
0: And we'll have all of that on the write-up, and Moving Forward listeners, you can find all of this information at bemovingforward.com. Well, Aline, uh, I want to ask you to, to close out the show, and I'm doing something new this year with our Moving Forward guests, and sum up, if you can, in three to four words, any parting wisdom that you would like to share with our Moving Forward listeners.
1: Um, to sum it up, count your blessings gratefully. Oh,
0: I love that. Count your blessings gratefully. Moving forward, listeners, you've heard an incredible story and an incredible journey from our guest today, Aline Wilson-Harris. Aline, I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to join us today to share your extraordinary journey and all of your knowledge and wisdom with our Moving Forward listeners.
1: Well, thank you again for having me. I really appreciate this. And I've had a lot of fun. Thank Uh, you.
0: uh, Me as well. Thank you so much. And Moving Forward listeners, you can follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Join us next Tuesday for another extraordinary guest. And remember, always be moving forward. Now it's time for you to move forward and unlock the extraordinary in you. Moving Forward is produced by John Lim and Bali Solutions, LLC. All rights
1: reserved.